This has been a word on our hearts for better part of a, a year now, or for sure all this year. This is when the Israelite people were coming back from captivity. They had just returned from Babylon. And this is called the song, Psalm of Ascents. And it says this, a short little psalm here. When the Lord restored fortunes of Zion, remember there was a lot of Israelites still back in captivity in Babylon. And these Israelites now in the, in the land were missing them. There was a, a heartbreak because brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, maybe even spouses, they weren't there with them. A small remnant had returned. And so here you have the people in the land, the small remnant, and they say, when the Lord restored fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Because how could it be this good? When the Lord actually brought the revival and brought the return we were hoping for, how could it be this good? It was like a dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among all the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Who's them? Israel. Who's God's people now, everybody? We are. God's people are Israel, yes, and God's people is the church. We are God's people. God has done great things for them is what is said of the church after revival is poured out. It's an amazing thing. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. So restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. The Negev was the southern desert in Israel and they had stream beds that water used to flow in. And so they said, just like it is when the, when the rains come and they restore the whole plain of the Negev desert, then make it like that for us where there's this torrent of rain and restore us. And surely we could agree the church has been in a dry and weary land for a lot of years. And so we're crying out for revival. This is what it looks like. Restore your people, Lord. Restore their fortunes like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy or with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy or shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves with them. Tonight, we're going to sow in some tears. Tonight, we're going to sow as we pray Joel 2 together. We're going to say, Lord, heal our land. We sang this earlier, but I promise you guys that darkness does not last forever. Darkness tarries for the night. Sorrow lasts for the night. But what comes in the morning, everyone? Joy comes in the morning. And I tell you, we're in a dark night right now. But I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to break forth. We're close, we're close, we're close. We're almost there. Hang on. Just We're at the 11th hour, church. Don't give up praying. Seek the Lord. Sorrow may last for the night. Joy is coming in the morning. Those who sow in tears tonight, I'm praying there'll be tears. I'm praying for the gift of tears tonight as we repent. They will reap with songs of joy. You can bet your bottom dollar on it. The word of the Lord will come true. It will come to pass. There will be songs of joy. There will be shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. We've got our seeds here tonight, church. So we're, we're, we're planting these seeds into the soil tonight, in the kingdom soil. We're, we're taking the seeds of the word and we're casting them out tonight. We're praying them back to the Lord. And I promise you that will not return empty. It's going to be good tonight. Revival is coming because Jesus is coming. So Joel chapter two tonight, we're praying that. Go there if you would. 
You know, revival is something I said last week we all have been praying for. I don't know anybody in any church in America that doesn't think it's a really good idea to have revival. Lord, send us revival. We see the decimation. We see the lukewarmness. We see that the church is not rising up to be what she is in the heavenly realms. Lord, send revival. But oftentimes, the work that goes into revival gets ignored, and we just ask for revival, similar to this. Let's say that uh, my house that I've got in town, I've got a rental house there, and let's say that the water has been shut off to the house. And that means there's a problem if water gets shut off to the house. Maybe I haven't paid the bill. Maybe there's some, some miscommunication about a tenant that's living there. But one way or the other, I don't have water in my house. That's a problem. I can do one of two things. I can either walk into the house and lay hands on my kitchen sink and say, in Jesus' name, flow with water. And that's not working, so I'm going to go, I'm going to build up my faith and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to effort a little bit more and walk into the bathroom, the, the, the shower head and the faucet and the sink, and I'm going to say, in Jesus' name, release water. It must come in Jesus' name. And I'm getting all frothy even as I'm saying that. I'm saying, Lord, you said streams would flow in the desert. Make it. I'm quoting scripture back to my faucets there. And I'm saying, make it happen. And there's this big spiritual show to get water to flow in my house. But it's been shut off at the meter outside. And so after I've kind of worn myself down with laying hands on the appliances and things like that to get them to flow with water, then I get low and I get on my hands and knees and I pull the little cover off of the meter can outside and I take the key that looks like this, this long metal rod with a T on the top and I put that key down in the meter can, right? And I turn, anybody ever done that? I turn and, I, and just one quarter turn and I hear, and that one inch line, that water just flows like crazy. And I turn it a little bit more and that sound becomes louder and louder and louder until everything in the house is filled with water. And I'm convinced that most of us spin our wheels. I spin my wheels a lot. I know, Lord, send revival. Amen, do it. And the church is in need of help, Lord, and, and, and amen. And go back to Netflix or go back to a movie or get back to my normal rhythm of life. And Lord, the church needs revival, I say the next day, and send revival, amen. And the Lord has said, if you do it my way, if you follow the instructions, if you use the key, then revival will come. It has to come because the, word's Lord, the word of the Lord does not return vain. And so this is what Joel 2 says to do. Even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Verse 12, with fasting and weeping and mourning. I've called a day of fasting today. Hopefully all of you had a chance to miss at least one meal or do it tomorrow. Yom Kippur is tomorrow, the holiest day of the year, a day for fasting. Do that if you would. By the way, we have snacks at the back for later on tonight. Tamsel brought them. And that's okay if you want to do snacks tonight because it's gonna, we'll be here for a while. Fasting is an action. Weeping and mourning is an emotion. The Lord says you can't have one without the other. You need both. You got to have a heart, let a guttural response to, Lord, I, I need you. We need you right now. I'm, I'm humbling myself with fasting and I'm crying out. Rend your hearts and not your garments. And when you rend your garments as if to say, I don't care how my clothes look. I don't care what a disheveled mess I am. If my clothes are torn, that's not a big deal. The big deal when I rip my clothes is that I'm, I'm voicing my need to you, Lord. 
And when we rend our hearts, it's the same way. I don't care what a mess I look like when my heart's torn to pieces. I'm giving it to you. I need you more than what people think of me, more than what the opinion of man is. I need you, God. So I'm rending my heart before you. And I'm saying, come have every way that you want in my heart, God. I hold nothing back. I confess it all to you. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious, slow to anger. He's compassionate. And then you get down to letting the priests, the spiritual leaders, weep and mourn and pray. Spare your people, Lord. I'm talking to pastors here in town, like we gotta start praying. Some of your home church pastors, we have to pray on behalf of the people of God. If the leaders will repent, the, lead, the people will repent. And then you get to verse 18. And then the Lord was or will be jealous for his land, and he will take pity on his people. You do that, God says, and I'll do this. You go use the key and turn it the way I've told you to turn it. I'll take care of the water. I'll take care of the blessings, the anointing. Trust me. You do what I've told you to do in simplicity, like little children. And then I will take pity on my land, he says. I'll, I will send you grain and wine and olive oil enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. I'll drive out the enemy from your land, the northern horde, it says. And then he says, I will bring pastures that are green. I will bring trees that are bearing fruit. I'll bring abundant showers. The threshing floors will be filled and vats will be overflowing with new wine and new oil. Praise the Lord. This is more than just hoping. This is more than just hoping it's going to happen. It's believing it's going to happen. I don't have to go into the sink in the house and pray and prophesy that water would flow and just hope that it happens. I can, I can believe it. I can go out there and say, I know water's coming into the house because I'm going to use the key here. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like we can, we can be so confident as to what's going to happen after we do what we're going to do tonight. And I'm telling you, it's not just done tonight. This is the first fruits. Would you afflict yourselves with fasting with me, church? Would you humble yourselves for revival in your own life? Are you dim? Is your oil low? Is there a lack of grain? Is there a lack of abundance in your spiritual life? Me too sometimes. What do we do? We go seek him out. We go say, Lord, I don't have any hope except you. Come and fill me up. I rend my heart, not my garment. I don't give you my hour. I don't show up to church and do the Christian thing. I rend my heart before you because I have no hope. And what does he do? He's like, ah, now we're getting somewhere. Now I'm going to pour it out. The fresh oil's coming for you. Would you do this individually? It's great to do it together, but would you do it next week? Would you seek the face of the Lord? Would you shut it off? Would you say no? Would you say, I'm getting up a little bit early? Would you get on your face before the Lord? If you would, I know what will happen. I promise, I promise water's gonna flow. <laughs> you don't have to hope. You can pray with confidence as a son and a daughter. Did you know that? If my words abide in you and you abide in me, pray whatever you wish and what will happen? Man, I tell you what, there are things that hinder prayer. If I'm hacked off at my wife, and she's hacked off at me, which has never once happened, then I have a hard time praying. Because why? Because Peter tells me my prayers are hindered if I got that type of relationship with my wife. How could I love God and expect anything from God if I'm not loving my wife who I can see? I can't see God. 
If I got unconfessed sin, if I'm, if I'm harboring that un, like Achan under his tent, what happened to the Israelites? They couldn't stand before the enemy. I don't expect to get anything from God when I'm harboring unconfessed sin. He's good to me all the time. He loves me all the time. But I tell you what, there's hindrance in my prayer. Guys, I'm telling you, this is fun. When we start to seek the Lord and he brings purity of heart, I'm telling you, new things start to flow. We start to walk in authority, authority, authority in our spiritual walk. It's fun and there's more for us. There's more flow coming for us in the spirit, I promise. Can you hear it? Can you hear the rushing sound in your life as you're turning that key on the water meter? That Can you hear the rushing sound? Or is it just dry? I want to ask you, if you're not hearing that water flowing, if that's not on a regular basis, would you seek him out with me? Because he wants to help. He says, I'll do it. I'll do all the hard work. You just do what I've told you to do. He's, he's wanting a relationship. Amen? Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would set us free from living like slaves, living like we're in Egypt still, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would walk like royalty, sons and daughters, Lord. I pray for oil for our lamps, every single one of us, God. And I'm asking, Father, you would teach us what it means to overcome, even tonight, God. Use this weak vessel. Lord, just speak through me your word, God. I pray you'd get me out of the way here tonight. You just speak your word tonight. I pray for open ears. I pray for distraction to be bound up in the name of Jesus, Lord. Oh God, we need your word, Lord. We live by your word alone, God, spiritually. And so I pray your word would be released here tonight, God. A couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, I had you go to 1 John chapter 5. I think we've got that on the overhead. I want to take just the rest of our time here tonight to talk about a word that's been on my heart this week. 1 John chapter 5, 2. I said this a few weeks ago. I want to expound on it just a little bit. I'm going to read it to you. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. There's a lot of promises for overcomers in the scriptures. I'm going to look at several of them in Revelation. We're going to talk about it a little bit. One of the keys to overcoming in life is learning to live under a light yoke, the light yoke of sonship instead of the heavy yoke of slavery. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what it's like to live under the yoke of slavery, even as a believer? Somebody give me a few adjectives for that. What does that feel like, living under a yoke of slavery? Because I'm thirsty. I need to take a drink. Depressing. Heavy? Depressing? Prison. Horrible. Heavy. Bondage. 
Never quite enough, are you? Just not quite there, yoke of slavery. Yeah, you're a child of God, but don't forget, don't forget. Condemnation comes on us. We start to look at ourselves. We're not looking at Jesus, and it's, a, it's heavy. It's burdensome. When we get released from that, we live under this light yoke, this easy burden called sonship. It is a yoke, and it is a burden. Why? Because sons obey. They do what the Father says. They actually work. There's, they're extremely fruitful when they work. There's, it's not like work gets taken out of the equation, but it's a different yoke. It's light. I've never noticed this before, but look with me, if you would, in verse 3. And his commands are not burdensome, comma. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. In the same breath, in the same sentence, the beloved apostle is saying there's a link between overcoming and living underneath his unburdensome commands. There's a link between living light on your feet and overcoming. Because you're not under anything. You're over everything in Christ Jesus. Amen? Because we're seated with him in the heavenly realm. So nothing is over our head. Everything is under our feet in Christ Jesus. And when we learn that, when we learn that we're actually royalty, when we learn what access we have and the privilege we have to be sons and daughters, it changes everything. Everything. Because how does royalty walk around the kingdom, guys? Come on, think with me for a second. If I'm, uh, if, I'm, uh, if I'm the son of the king, and this is my sister right here, and we just come bebopping out of, the, out of the palace, and we just had big breakfast with our father, the king, and here we're coming out among all you common folk, right? It's all the common folk out there. And we're just walking along. We're like, hey, how you doing? What's up? Oh, look, an apple market over here. I'm going to take, it's all my father's. I'm, oh, there I go. We're so happy to have you. This is great. And we're just laughing and joking. We're just, we don't care what anybody's thinking, right? It's just so relaxed. Thank you, everybody. Give Lydia a round of applause for coming here. I mean, come on. How does, how does royalty act? They're not afraid of anybody's opinion. Why? Because it's like, <laughs> I'm, I got access to my father's master bedrooms. I can walk in whenever I want and talk to him in those intimate of settings. I'm a son and I'm a daughter. I'm preaching myself, by the way. Myself, 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 myself. But man, when I'm a slave, I'm just like, oh, I hope I don't mess up today. Because I, I got, the master's going to whip me. It's going to be bad. I got to, right? Come on. The royalty acts differently. And so when I'm living under that light yoke and that easy burden, I'm overcoming everything. I'm walking over the top of every situation, right? I'm in the middle of a lawsuit right now. I got a guy um, who, uh, one of our employees, um, got in a wreck three years ago. And uh, as is the case, because I've got such deep pockets, because I'm in the oil business, I've got all the money in the world, and so they're going to sue me, right? Because me and my dad and my brother, because uh, we're rich. And so, um, so this has been a nightmare, like just kind of an ongoing nightmare. And I t I've been run, I've been taken through the ringer on this one. Just like, yeah, man, they might sue you for more than your overall coverage, and it might come after your personal possessions. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to die. And the Lord's dealt with my heart on this. And all of a sudden, I'm getting this revelation about who I am and whose I am. And I'm like, when this wreck happened, do you know what I was doing? 
I was in my office sharing the gospel with a total stranger that had popped in when this wreck happened. It's not my fault. Sure, we could have done better at teaching, training, whatever, you know. It's, it's, it's fine. Like, well, but I was doing the Father's will during this, and this happened to me. And all of a sudden, I'm like, no, 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 no. This thing is not over the top of me. So I got some bad news this last week. I got a letter that was like really, really bad that was not in our favor. And there was a testimony that just is, is, is ugly. If I'm in jail, I'll be on the hill. Come and visit me, by the way, guys. I, I'd really appreciate it. Visiting hours are on Saturday. No, but I got this. And you know what I did? For like one of the first times ever, I got that letter and I'm like, it's gonna be so okay. This is not gonna touch me apart from the sovereign hand from the Lord because he loves me and I'm a son and worst comes to worst, he's gonna provide the money. But the truth is, I don't have to worry about anything, right? Because I'm thinking like a son. This changes everything. This is what teaches us to overcome the world. Okay, so the, world, the word overcomers is nikeo in the Greek and the phrase means conquerors, victors, those who prevail. Conquerors, victors, those who prevail. These are not abnormal Christians, by the way. These are not super spiritual people. Overcomers are normal Christians. The truth is, when we live not overcoming, that's abnormal in the kingdom. And that's the truth. When, when we live for a season underneath the weight of slavery and, and that heavy yoke, that's abnormal. Actually, true normal Christianity is living the overcoming lifestyle. So lest you think this is only for a few specific special super Christians, this is for everybody here. There's seven churches, you remember this well, in Revelation, every single church at the end of the letter gets a promise to overcomers. Remember that? Or victors, those who have conquered. And Ephesus, the first one, the one who's victorious gets the right to eat from the tree of life. Smyrna, the, the victorious one, will not be at all hurt by the second death, the lake of fire. Pergamum, this church, any overcomer there, they will get some of the hidden manna and a white stone with a new name on it. Thyatira, the overcomers there get authority over the nations and they get the morning star. Sardis, with a reputation of being alive, but they're dead. They, overcomers there, get dressed in white. Their names are never blotted out of the book of life. Jesus will acknowledge their name, those people's name, before God and his angels. Wow! Philadelphia, the church there will get, those overcomers will be made pillars in the temple of God. They never have to leave. And three names get written on each overcomer by Jesus. The name of God, the name of God's holy city, Jerusalem, and Jesus's new name that we don't even know yet. What? Unless you think being a pillar is boring in the house of God, wait till you get there. That will be the place to be. Light, life flowing out. We can't even understand it. We're so broken right now in our bodies. We can't even understand how glorious it'll be and how much we'll want to be there. Lastly, for the church in Laodicea, overcomers there... you comfortable people in Laodicea with me here, if we overcome here, 
we get the right to sit with Jesus on his throne. It's an amazing thing to be an overcomer. Yes, you can escape through the flames, but I'm pleading with you guys to live the normal Christian life, to be an overcomer. You won't regret it. You won't regret it, laying your life down, whatever it takes. Revelation chapter 12. Take a right, if you would. We'll finish up here in a few minutes. Revelation chapter 12. Satan has a general work for all of mankind. And that work is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his MO for everyone on the planet. But did you know Satan has a specific work for you and for me? For the believers, Satan's favorite task, the one he specializes in, is accusing the brethren day and night. That's his persistent work over and over and over again. So, verse 10 of chapter 12. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God every once in a while, when he feels like it, maybe when you're down low and haven't, no, he accuses you before God every day and every night. Satan does not rest in his ministry of accusation. Did you ever notice that? You could have a great night and wake up the next morning. You're like, am I even saved? I don't think I need to talk to anybody about the Lord because I'm a horrible failure. Ever notice that? And it can switch like on a dime. You can just switch. That's because Satan's accusing you all day, every day. And you gotta have the armor of God for protection even while we sleep, I believe. The one who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They, those who are being accused, the believers, the brethren, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They loved not their lives even unto death. They were victorious over him. They were the victors. They were the conquerors because of the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life even unto death. A few thoughts about this. This is a common passage, but maybe a different way of looking about how to be an overcomer. First and foremost, this is a spiritual battle, yes? We're in a battle that's not against flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle fought in our minds all the time. This is where the battlefield is. Number one, being an overcomer requires an understanding that there's a basis for overcoming, and it is called the precious blood of Jesus. We overcome the enemy who's assaulting us day and night on the basis of the blood of Jesus that washes us whiter than snow. Amen? Isn't that good news? Satan accuses attacking our consciences directly. The battlefield's in the mind, yes, but where does he attack? Con, meaning with, science, meaning knowledge. I've got knowledge of why he's attacking me. He doesn't attack me without reason, does he? He doesn't attack you without reason, does he? 
No, he appeals to your conscience because you're with knowledge about your present actions or your past actions and weaknesses. So he comes after you and me on grounds that seem reasonable enough because he said, look what you just did or look what you're still struggling with. I'm attacking your conscience. So we've got plenty that we can agree with him that he's accusing us for, right? Plenty. Conscience is actually good. It's really healthy to confess sin, yes? It's like the toilet in your house. You gotta have one. It's a healthy thing to have one. You gotta get rid of the waste, right? It's important to get rid of that. It's not something that you have like in the middle of your living room or hanging on your wall though, is it? Conscience is a good thing. Confessing sins is a regular part of getting rid of the bad, in with the good, out with the bad. Confession of sins is healthy. But just like every other thing, the enemy takes something good and he distorts it and makes it something bad. He takes enough truth and then he distorts it and he makes it a lie. So what does Satan do with our consciences? He says, you know, you are a sinner and so I'm gonna help you take this confession further to where now your sin is looming larger than the work of Christ, right? Your sin, because you're, taught, you're confessing it all the time. I got this addiction, I got this problem, this struggle. All the time we're talking about that. And he said, like, yeah, stay there because you'll never get over this. You'll never get set free. And it's actually bigger than Christ on the cross. So he distorts it and he'd love it if we would just stay there the rest of our Christian lives. Satan says your sin calls for accusation. God says your sin calls for blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Satan's ministry of accusation is old. God's ministry of the shed blood is new. It's a new covenant we're under, guys. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from how many sins? Are you sure? Are you 100% sure? Can you remind yourself of that? Again and again and again, when Satan comes at you, the basis for your standing as a son or daughter is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all we have. The blood of Jesus Christ cleansed me from all sin. I'm completely cleansed in the name of Jesus. There's a song by Shane and Shane, one of my favorite uh, bands. It's called Embracing Accusation. Anybody ever heard that? Satan singing over me the same old song that I'm lost and gone astray. Singing so conveniently over me that he's forgotten the refrain, Jesus saves. He's singing the first verse and the second verse and the third verse. You're a sinner and you're like, yeah, I'm a sinner. He's like, you'll never get over that. And you're like, yeah, I'll never get over that sin. But he's forgotten the chorus. The chorus is, yes, but not I, the Lord. Jesus saves. So I embrace it. I actually embrace that accusation. I say, yes, that is who I am, but Jesus is different and I look to him. Jesus' ministry is also day and night, always. Satan's ministry is day and night, always accusing us. Jesus' ministry day and night is always what? Interceding for us. He's our mediator. He's our advocate. He's standing at the right hand of God and he is advocating for us. Don't forget that. So the defense that we have is the holy, sufficient, precious blood of Jesus Christ. We don't boast in our good success in Christianity and we don't bemoan our failures and our sinfulness. We just look for the blood. That's it. That's all we do. 
Blood. The blood of Jesus makes me a son. Blood of Jesus makes me a daughter. That's all I have. Okay, so that's number one. Number one, the basis defense against the enemy is the blood. That's number one is defense. Number two is offense. They overcame him, yes, by the blood of the lamb, but by the word, which is compared to the sword, the word of their testimony. This is how we fight back. This is how we fight our battles. The weapon attack for overcoming is the word of our testimony. We live by faith, not by sight in 2 Corinthians 5. We live by facts, not by feelings, right? We live by the, the past historical fact of what Christ Jesus did on the cross and not our present feelings or circumstances. The facts of Christ's finished work for us. How about this? You don't have to flip there, but Hebrews 10, 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Come on. What kind of a verse is that? Memorize that verse this week, guys. Come on. It's so good. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever because God sees billions of decades from now. He sees you that way and he sees me that way. He's made perfect forever those who are in this life being made holy. It's finished, like Jesus said on the cross. It's done. I've been made perfect forever. Come on, what are some facts that we can fight back with? When Satan comes, our defense is the blood of Christ, but what do we do offensively? Because sometimes, like I did yesterday, I get up in my head. You guys ever do that? And all of a sudden, 10 minutes later, I'm like, I'm not a very diligent Christian. Because if I, and I've got all this going on in my mind, right? And so what did I do yesterday? I was walking around. No one was there. And what did I say out loud, everybody? Anybody want to guess? I said, I'm royalty. I said it out loud. Isn't that craziness? I said, I'm royalty. I said it out loud. And I said, I'm a son. And that thing just lifted. That attack just lifted off of me, guys. I just confessed the truth with my mouth. And I said it out loud to get my brain back in alignment with reality. Because, man, he was working on me yesterday afternoon. Working, working, working. Condemnation. Facts to be declared. Christ is victorious over the enemy. Christ rules and reigns forever. God is for me, not... Come on, we can say that. God is for me, not... One more time. God is for me, not... Man, he's not against you, is he? It seems like it. It seems like he should be, but he's not against us. The Lord delights, Psalms 35, in the well-being of his servant. God, you delight in my well-being. Why would this thing that's coming after me to hurt me not work to my good? Because you delight in my well-being. I don't have to fear anything. I've been translated from Satan's kingdom into Jesus' kingdom. I've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. His kingdom is near and his kingdom is here. I thank you at my workplace starting next week. You show up and you say, I thank you, God, your kingdom is near. It's here right now, God. These are facts. The kingdoms of this world will soon be the kingdom of our God and Christ. You know this freaks the devil out. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he must flee. He's not going to think about it. He must flee. Satan was talked back to by Jesus by quoting Deuteronomy. The facts, not his feelings. Jesus was hungry after 40 days. He talked based on the facts, based on the written word of God, and Satan had to flee. 
So we declare it. We testify it. Jesus is Lord. I'm not under anything. I'm over everything because Jesus has been ascended, Ephesians 1, to the right hand of the Father and Ephesians 2, and I've been seated with him in the heavenly realms. Nothing's over the top of my head. I have to say this to myself over and over, guys. See, I'm fighting. I'm trying to teach you how to fight here with the sword, with the word of your testimony. Yes, we've got a salvation testimony, but it's more than that. You can only quote your salvation testimony so many times. You have to have the testimony of the word in you. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who fear him. Psalms 84, 11. Lizzie said earlier today, there's two songs being sung. There's a song of hopelessness and a song of hope. And where that, that, that line of that hymn says, tune my heart to sing thy grace. I'm telling you, our hearts are tuned with one song or the other. We're tuned up with this song of hopelessness over here. It's all gonna fall apart. No one's gonna remember me. It's gonna hurt. It's gonna be bad because of my own stupid mistakes and failures. Over here, we got this song of hope. It's, it's going to work out because you're called by his name and you love him, called according to his purpose. He's actually going to give you a hope and a future. He's got plans for you to prosper you, not to harm you. Tune my heart to sing your grace. Which song are you singing in harmony? With the lover of your soul, Jesus, or with the accuser of the brethren? What does your harmony sound like? I'm pleading with you guys to sing the song of hope. I'm new in Christ Jesus. The old has gone. Behold, the new have, has come. I've been redeemed. I'm royalty. A lot of times we pray and we don't testify. I think a lot of our prayer needs to be replaced with speaking the truth in the situation. Jesus says, pray to God like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. But he also says, say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the heart of the sea. There's times when we say things and there's times when we pray things. I don't know if we're too comfortable saying things, are we? That seems a little word of faith-ish and kind of scary because only crazy people do that. No, I'm not gonna let that that doctrine, just like the doctrine of prosperity, I'm not gonna let it rip off the truths of prosperity in the scriptures. I'm not gonna let the doctrine that some twisted things around word of faith rip off the truth of, no, the tongue is the rudder. And I'm going to speak to this mountain and say, you have to go away now in Jesus' name. You, you will not rule over me in Jesus' name because I've been bought with a price and I stand redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we just get our mouths going and we start to get a little more bold like Peter and John. They were astounded at the boldness of Peter and John. And then when they prayed in Acts 4, Lord, enable your servants to speak the word with all boldness. And everybody was bold in the book of Acts. Isn't that crazy? No timidity. It was like this roaring of this lion coming through them. The Holy Spirit emboldened them. Calvary is my history. I was there on the cross 2,000 years ago because the Bible tells me I was. I don't feel like it, but I was there. I was crucified. So lastly, number three, how do we overcome? We overcome by loving not our lives even unto death. First of all, the basis of the blood. Secondly, with the offensive weapon, the word of our testimony. Thirdly, we overcome by having something happen in us called the cross of Jesus Christ 
on our self-life. This verse often gets interpreted that we're loving not our lives even unto death, meaning we'll die for Christ. And that's true, but I think even more true maybe for us who might not have to die for our faith is the fact that everyone is called to die to self and take up their cross and follow after Jesus. See, no foothold for Satan means I've got a recognition of the old I and the new I, capital I. Remember, read through this with me, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Two old eyes, two new eyes. It's very important to know which is which. I, the old I, have been crucified, done away with. The Lord has no regard for the old man anymore. Praise the Lord, good or bad, no regard for you or me in the flesh. And the old I, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, the new I in Christ Jesus, I live in the body. And that new I, I live by faith in the Son of God and gave himself for me. Victors, overcomers are victorious only in and through Christ Jesus in them. Meaning Christ gets all the glory in the end. Overcomers understand that. When you don't understand that, you give a foothold to the enemy because if you do, do good, if you do bad, ugh. But overcomers say, no, I've been erased. I no longer exist, the old I. The only thing that matters now is Christ in me. That's it. That's all that I care about. So even the junk that I do, what does Paul say? That's no longer I who do that, but that's what? Sin that does that. And the, and the good stuff I do, that's Christ Jesus in me, man. The, the good stuff I do in the flesh, I, I, I can be the most devout carer of the poor and the homeless. And, and I can be a Muslim. I can, I can be a Buddhist and I can pray. I could do tons of good stuff as a Jehovah's Witness and totally miss Jesus because I haven't been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. God doesn't care about our good behavior just like he doesn't care about our bad behavior in the old eye. God is for me, not against me. Which me? The new one. God's for you. He doesn't care about the old one. That doesn't matter to him. He's after the new one. That's what he's after in you. So whatever is accomplished through me, Christ gets all the glory. Therefore, death to self being addressed, bodily death means nothing. Because we understand what it means to die to self, then I realize I'm already dead. I'm already, my soul, man, is already dead. It doesn't matter if I die bodily. That means nothing because I actually just go to sleep. The spirit man on the inside, Christ, is alive right now. I'll never die. I will never die. I simply just break through into newness of life. Death has no hold on overcomers because we've prevailed over death. Okay, light yoke, easy burden. We're sons we live under his commands that are not burdensome, meaning anything he's saying to do, we do it. Anything he's not saying to do, stop. Stop. Stop doing everything he never told you to do. I'm gonna finish with a story. I know you don't have anywhere to go if you're saying at midnight, so talk all. 
I was doing a really good thing with prison ministry because the Lord called me to do prison ministry and it was so fruitful and the Lord was giving me favor. And so I got asked to be on the board and then I got asked to be on the advisory board and then I got talked about, about being taken over that position, leading the Central Kansas prison ministry. And I was so excited, love Lynn McBride, love it, love it, love it. And the longer I did it, the more I realized this season has come to an end. Something's come to an end. But I got all these guys that are getting like the 20 year badges for prison ministry and 25. And they're like heroes of the faith because Jesus says, if you go to prison and visit me, that's a good thing, right? So I was called to go to the prison. So, but all of a sudden like the wind was out of my cell. I'm like, this season is over. And that seems lazy because all I kind of want to do is be at home with my wife and little kids. I feel like the Lord's calling me back home. And so every time I'd go out to the prison for an evening, they'd be crying and be like, oh, it's hard to see you go, but okay, go. And I didn't want to go. They didn't want me to go. But it's like, I got to tough it out for the Lord and do what he's doing. He wasn't doing it though. So it got down to the, the tax. And I was like, man, I got to I got to step away from this. I just had no peace about doing it. I had to say no. I talked to the board. I talked to Lynn. I was like, I got to step back away from this. And I felt this big. I felt like I was a failure. Like I'd given up on what the Lord had called me to do. And they were just great, blessing me. Just, yeah, don't, yeah, you just rest. You do what you need to do, all that kind of stuff. A couple weeks later, I get invited by my Aunt Jan to come make a presentation to the board for Christopher's Hope Ministry. She was just here a couple weeks ago talking about it. And they, they had, I think, 30 kids at the house at the time or something like that. I got invited to go give this presentation. And this guy picks me up and he's, anyway, he's, he's saying that he doesn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit today. And so I said, okay, cool, that's, that's what you believe. And so we get there and we get to this dinner and I'm making this presentation about some money that was given to Jan just as a guest And this guy who had told me that before, who's the president, looks at me and he said, I had a dream a few weeks ago and you were the president of the board of Christopher's Hope Ministry. I'm like, are you kidding me? After all you told me about the gifts, now you got a dream from the Lord, now you're telling me this dream. If anybody else had told me that, I don't think I would have believed it. But he said that and I'm like, I'll pray about it. So I go home and I seek the Lord and I talk to my wife and I call my uncle Sam and we're just processing through. I'm like, this is from the Lord. But I'm in this season of stepping back away and I'm saying no. Long story short, I said yes. And I said, let's just pray. And the Lord's done changes and he's revamped. And then Jan came on board with Disciple Nations. And I just spent the last week or week and a half with my Aunt Jan going around. She just flew back home. And all these Disciple Nations meetings. And it's unbelievable how much fruit this is bearing. Has nothing to do with me, by the way. I just said no to something the Lord wasn't doing. I I left a good thing, prison ministry, and I just said yes to this thing called being on the board, to be president of the board of Christopher's Hope. And because of that, because of my connections with the Disciple Nations team, she comes on the team. And now there's like teams of people that are gonna go down there probably. And there's double the kids and there's all this fruitfulness that's happening. It has nothing to do with me. I just said yes to his burden and his yoke that's easy. And I bear a ton of fruit when I abide like that. And so do you. So do you. The commands of the Lord are not burdensome, guys. Not burdensome. If you're under something that feels burdensome and heavy and just, uh, please pray about stopping that and say, Lord, what do you have for me? Because I promise you it's going to be like, I can't believe I get to do this. It's so easy almost. It's so fun almost. It's like what I'm built to do, right? 
The Lord has that for each one of you. Each one of us called to live underneath that yoke. So let's stand, if you would, together, guys. I'm just going to ask you to, to close your eyes and just prepare your hearts before the Lord. Just present yourselves to Him and, and say, Lord, make me an overcomer. I want to overcome this world. I don't want to live underneath it anymore. And I pray for revelation for all of us in here, Lord, of the blood of the Lamb. I pray that you would teach everyone in here and I take up the sword of the spirit and fight back with the word of testimony. And I pray for an embracing of the cross for everyone in here, God. Would you just lift your hearts to him and would you say, Lord, would you reveal any yoke that's not from you? You know how you know that the spirit of God has been poured into your hearts? Quick test. You lift your heart to him and you say, Abba, Father, I belong to you. Would you do that? Just, just lift your hearts to him and just say it from your heart. Abba, Father, I belong to you. And so there's testimony for sonship. If you don't have that testimony, whether you've been in church your whole life or this is your first time here tonight, I want to encourage you to get right with God and to humble yourself before him and repent and say, Lord, I call on you for salvation. I confess my sins and he will pour the spirit into your heart liberally and abundantly. So Lord, I pray for revelation of every heavy yoke in here and it be lifted in Jesus' name. And I pray that you would release your commands to these people. Your commands that are not burdensome, God. And they could walk under those. leave you with this. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. I thank you for the facts, Lord, that we are in Christ Jesus, sons and daughters. The facts that speak louder than our feelings, that we are an heir of all things in Christ Jesus. What a miraculous promise. I pray for victory in the church. I pray, Lord, that you would restore our fortunes. You would send revival into the church. I pray, Lord, as we seek your face, for those who can stay, Lord, I pray for uh, this midnight call tonight, Lord. Hear our prayers. We cry out. We pray your word back to you, God. 
And I pray that you would restore and revive and bless your people, bless your land in Jesus' name. Amen.